Good morning. Our scripture reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 4. Now Jesus had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground where Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, nothing to draw with the well, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, the time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in the truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, good morning. We uh, are starting, I'm going to be spending the next few weeks uh, talking about life of a disciple and really around some different topics of discipleship. Today we're going to look at the life of worship. And this is a great passage that we all think about. Uh, those of us who study the Bible know that uh, this passage about worship. And um, I've been thinking about this and trying to figure out what is worship. And I was thinking, reminded actually some time ago I was serving a church. And in that church's history was a church split. The, the church had split in 1863. Everybody remember 1863, right? It was during, what was going on during, in 1863 in our country? Civil War, right. And these two churches split. 
and they, they were worshiping blocks apart in the same city for 58 years. They worshiped separately. They offered all the same Bible studies, all the same programs. They were both Methodist churches. They were both same denomination. All the things were the same, except they were two different groups. Now, the reason that they split in 1863 was not over the issue of slavery. <laughs> the country was divided over slavery, but these two churches were divided over some other things. One of the things they divided over was the rental of pews. If you know your free Methodist history, it's about the same time the free Methodists began. The other thing that happened, though, is that there were two groups of people. One group I will call the traditionalists. They wanted to keep worship plain and simple. They wanted to keep worship the way it had always been, and they refused to change worship. So they created their church. Then I would say there was this other group I'd call the contemporary group. <laughs> they wanted this new style, not a new style, but they wanted this different kind of music, and they wanted to do things differently in their worship. They wanted to experiment with some new things, and so this group became another church. And for 58 years, the traditional church and the contemporary church worshiped separately. What was it about? What was it about? I would tell you to you that it was about style of worship. The traditionalists wanted to keep things the way they were, plain, simple, sing the hymns like they were meant to be sung. Now, the contemporary folks at this day might not be who you think. The contemporary folks, you know what they wanted? An organ and a choir with choir robes. That was contemporary in 1863. I think about that, and I think about how we get up, and we could, I could use an illustration with, with other ways, but things have shifted. I think back about 30 years ago, we, the church went through another reiteration, and what we'd call contemporary and traditional change, didn't it, about 30 years ago? And so we think about this style of worship, and how these styles of worship actually sometimes get in the way of worship. And I would say to you that this has been true because we're human. <laughs> Did you know that Jews and Samaritans had also had a separate church. The Jews were worshiping in their temple in Jerusalem, and the Samaritans had their temple on another mountain, and they were separated. You know what the situation, you know what it was that they separated them? Worship. The, the Samaritans thought, we're only going to study the first five books of the law, and we're going to ignore the prophets and the, the historical writings. We don't believe in the temple that Solomon built. They rejected that temple. In fact, when the exiles came back from the Old Testament and the exile, they were coming back to Jerusalem. The Samaritans refused to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. They built their own temple on their mountain where they worshiped. And then the other thing that happened was they also rejected any kind of pilgrimage to Jerusalem as a part of worship. And also, interestingly enough, the Jewish nation, Israelites, in 128 BC came and attacked and burned the Samaritan temple. So, how do you think the Samaritans felt about the Jews? And how do you think the Jews felt about the Samaritans? And wasn't this all about worship? Another, churches have been divided over worship for, for, for centuries, for millennia. And I think about this, is, and Jesus gives us this teaching today about worship. In fact, he's got, there are several conversations going on here within the context of the book of John, within the gospel lesson this morning. There are actually, what, four conversations we heard. But two I want to point out this morning. There are two parts of this conversation I want us to hone in on this morning. So there's, first of all, there's this conversation about the well. And, and there's this 
well that's been dug by Jacob. It's been dug and it's been there since the time of Jacob. And this well has been giving water and giving life to the community since then. And here this woman is coming in the middle of the day. And she has come at a time when none of the other women have come to the well. Interesting. Now, if you have studied this text before, you notice that one of the things that would have happened is early in the morning, the women would all gather at the well and they would collect water. And this was a very social experience of the day. They would, they would come, there would be socialization, they, they'd talk about what was going on with their families and the community. But this particular woman comes in the middle of the day when no other women are there. So she's alone. And here Jesus comes, a Jewish rabbi, and sits down. I can picture him just sitting down on the edge of the well as she comes to draw water by herself. I love that image. You know, all throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus interacting with women, Jesus working with women, women supporting his ministry. And here, not only has he crossed a boundary from Jewish to Samaritan, but he's also crossed another boundary from male to female. Two reasons for them not to have a discussion Jesus ignores. (laughs) That's what I love about Jesus. He doesn't let our human boundaries get in his way. So then he sits down, and there's obviously that she's a person who has experienced loneliness because of social norms of the day. And the other thing, he, she goes on, and that's what we learn when she, we learn that she doesn't have a husband. In fact, she's had five husbands. And then he goes on and they switches the conversation again to worship. Now, the first part, I want to back up John chapter 4, verse 13 and 14. Jesus said this about water. He said, everyone who drinks this water from Jacob's well will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So what Jesus is offering her is a different well, a well that isn't dug by human hands, a well that is not created by human hands, but a well that is life-giving spring, that is continual. You don't need to dig it. You just go to it and receive What is there? Then he goes on and he talks about worship with her. And he says, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in the truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and truth. And I think about this, Jesus saying, look, it's not going to be about location anymore. It's not going to be about geography anymore. It's not going to be about the temple anymore. In fact, the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D., What Jesus is saying is that there's going to be a different way of worship happening in the future. I began to wonder about this. I began to wonder about this conversation about the well and this conversation about worship. And in my mind, I began to put the two together. And I began to ask this this question. What if worship is like a well? What if worship is to be a well for us, where we go to be refreshed, where we go to encounter this living water, where we go to encounter this living God. What if that's the point of worship? And if we're to go there and receive this, and and how much of our worship has really been dug by human hands rather than allowing the spring of life to come into us and when we worship? I think about worship style And I think a lot of our style 
is the way we try and dig our well of worship. It's human made. It's human created. And, and we can see it in traditional worship. We can see it in contemporary worship. It's not, those are just different styles of worship. And when there are different ways that we try and create worship or make worship happen. Last week, I uh, got to celebrate my daughter's graduation. Woohoo! But the, somehow I have a feel, feeling the bills are going to still come. Anyway. So we got to worship last week in a contemporary church. We were in a mega church in Lexington, Kentucky. And I got in there and it was, it was just rocking, man. I mean, it was rocking. I could feel the vibrations in my chest as I came in, right? And I came into this, this worship and the, it's all dark and they had like a little bit of smoke in the room. So when the lights came, you know, moved around, you could see the beams of light, you know, and they were going this way and changing colors, you know, they're... <laughs> And I'm like, wow, this is a production, right? I felt like I was at a show, right? A concert, right? And the music was great and the band was great and the music, you know, everything was going well. And there's this thing. And, and I'm sitting there going, how much of this is human? And how much of this is spirit? You know, I'm starting, because I'm thinking about my sermon this week, last week, as I'm in church, which is really not what you're supposed to do, Right? But I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking, how much of this is production? And how much is this is spirit? And this would hold true. I could, say, I could go into a, um, what we consider a traditional service with a great choir and, and great soloists and great music and great organ and great concert, uh, concert uh, orchestra. And I've been in those and I've been like in all of that, right? But again, I would ask the same question. What, how much of this is human? How much of this is performance? How much of this is production? And how much of this is spirit? Life-giving, God-led, spirit-led worship. Now, even as I was in the midst of this production, which I thought was very impressive, I did sense the spirit of God. And it came at a moment, interestingly enough, we just heard about brave. Brave, the, the catch line of brave was, this is me, Right? Which is, if you, where did you all get that catchphrase? Is that not a song that came out recently in a movie called The Greatest Showman? You know that? Have you all seen that? There's a, there's a song in that that says, that, that, where they sing, This Is Me. Well, when I was in worship last week at this church, a woman came forward and she sang that song in worship. And, and she, from, from a, in a human point of view, she killed it. <laughs> Not killed it in a bad way. I have to think about it. I would, yeah, how do you say this? Um, she did an awesome job. That's what I mean, right? She did great. But what I saw in her was she brought all of herself to that act of worship. Does that make sense? And it didn't matter whether it was contemporary or traditional or whatever. She just brought her whole self to the singing of that song and she was worshiping God. And that's where I sensed that that was not production. That was spirit. And it's what we bring to the worship experience that determines whether it's production or whether it's spirit. I love that song, actually, because it says, this is me. And that shouldn't the church, shouldn't the worship be the place where we can just bring ourselves authentically before God? Flaws, imperfections, everything about us, to bring ourselves before God and say, God, this is me. I need you. Isn't that the heart of worship? 
Isn't that spirit and truth? I bring the truth of who I am and the truth, my authenticity of who I am to worship. And I come to a God who is ready to be with me and to be present to me. And I say, God, this is me. Take me, change me, renew me, restore me. Give me the living water. Wouldn't that be worship? How do we strip away all the other stuff? How do we strip away all the style and the production and the performance and just come to God and worship? I'd love that to happen. It does happen. I'm going to give you three not-so-easy steps for that to happen in your life. You right? I, I want to rephrase it. Three not-so-easy steps. Did you hear that? You with me still? You with me, church? All right, I'm just checking. Three not-so-easy steps to worship. The first one is harder than you may think. It's, it's, it was easy for you today, but it's not always easy, and that is just show up. <laughs> Have you ever got those mornings where you just don't want to get up and go to church? <laughs> you just don't physically want to take your body out of that nice warm bed and move it into another place and another space on a Sunday morning? You ever feel that way? Can I get a witness here this morning? Right? And, and I used to have a coach say to me when I was a church planner, he would say, Matt, half the job, half of your job is just showing up. Half of your job is just showing up. And I think that's true for worship. That, that I, there's, a, there's something about an act, the, the first act of worship is actually moving yourself out of your bed and to the worship, the body of worship, to the worshiping community. That in itself is an act of worship. I would also say it's also an act of witness in this community. When your neighbors see you getting up earlier than everybody else, when your neighbors see you getting in a car and going someplace, they're wondering, where are they going so early on a Sunday morning? Your physical movement on Sunday morning is actually not just about you, it could actually be about your witness to the community. And then when we show up and we worship together, it is a witness to each other and a witness to what God is doing in our lives and that, we're, that we believe in God. So it is my witness to worship as well. And so we go there and we do that because it's part of who we are as disciples, as followers of Jesus Christ. Even We do it even when we don't feel like it because it's important, not just for me, but I would say to the other people around you your neighbors, your community, but even the people here in this place. Do you know, I just recently learned, actually last week in worship, <laughs> that Cigna did some research, and the loneliest generation today is the age 18 to 22, Generation Z. They're considered now the loneliest generation, even lonely, they, they report they experience more loneliness even than the retired generation, those over 72, now, some people assume, well, that's social, that's social media for you, right? Yes, blame social media, right? But actually, they came up with some other conclusions. One thing is they realize that, that families are smaller now, and they think that family size, that as families become smaller, there's less extended family, there's less relationship with extended family, and so there's loneliness because there's not that community for people anymore. The other thing they notice is that there's less engagement in our neighborhood, so we're not getting to know our neighbors, we're not engaging our neighbors in our community as much as we used to. 
And so that's created less community for young people. But you know what the other thing they noted was? Lack of church attendance. Because the church is to be a community where we have relationship, where we experience this idea that I can go and be myself and be loved by people even though I am flawed and imperfect. We need communities where people can go and be received and accepted and unconditionally loved, and that's part of showing up, folks. That's part of our witness as how we receive people when they come because this ought to be a place where no one feels alone because there's God and we have each other, the body of Christ. And so to experience Christ in my life, I actually have to take my physical body and move it into the body, the physical body of Jesus Christ because we are all a part of the body of Christ. And it's in that community that we experience true fellowship. And I would say to you, the reason to do this is because a life of worship is better than a life without worship. I don't know. I, I hear a lot of people say, I'm going to do, do this on my own. And I, I agree. There is a place for private worship. I agree with that. I do that. But there's something about being in the body of Christ when I worship that changes me, that shifts me, that ch- helps me to see God. The other thing, so I said these were not easy steps, right? They get harder. Did, did you think that was hard? How many people think step one is hard? So, yeah, good. Thank, I love the confession. Good. Step two gets harder. Be fully present when you're in worship. Be fully present. Now, I am terrible. My, you, you, want, you want to go learn some things about Matt, go talk to my, my daughters and my, my wife. They will tell you there are times I am not fully present. There are times when I can sit at the dinner table with them and they can be having a conversation with me and I am present physically, I am there, but they would say to me, Dad, did you hear what I just said? Matt, are you with us? Why? Why? Because I'm distracted. Or I'm thinking about something else. Usually it's about church stuff. <laughs> the duh, How am I going to dig this well? <laughs> and so I'm thinking about that, and they will tell you that I can be physically present in the room at the dinner table, but not be fully present to them in relationship with them. I would say to you that it is possible to come to worship and physically be present in worship and not be fully present to the Holy Spirit, to what God is doing in this place, what God wants to do in your life. For three years, I was not a pastor. I took a job working on staff with our denomination. And when I did that, I had a chance to worship with my family. And so there's a couple things that I did when I went to worship. I'll tell you what I did to help me be fully present because I was on that side of the pulpit, not this side of the pulpit. And it's different. So I would go to worship. A couple things I would do when I go to worship. One, I wouldn't wear a watch. Why did I not wear a watch? Because I know Matt. And what Matt will do is look at his watch, like some of you are doing right now. <laughs> When's this sermon going to be over? When's this ser- when are we getting to the next thing? So that's part of it, is that we are an anxious society. <laughs> we are always thinking, what's next? What's next? What's next? Rather than be present here now. We have a hard time doing that. Have you noticed that? So the other thing I would do was I would not take a bulletin when I came in. The ushers would always try and get them to me, but I would take them. Why did I not take a bulletin? Because I didn't want to know what's coming next. 
Because if I had a bulletin, I'd look at it and I'd go, oh, what's next, what's next, what's next? And I just needed to be present, fully present in worship. So I took away the watch, I took away the bulletin, and I just came and was trying, my whole effort was just to be fully present to what God was doing in the moment in that worship service. And you know what I found myself doing? Worshiping. Because I wasn't thinking about what's next, and, and I had to get rid of all the distractions, and I had to just bring myself before God. So that's part of it. You know, it's to be fully present to God and what God wants to do in worship. That's where the living water comes from. And to be fully present means to bring your authentic self to that worship. I love the way the message version puts the same verse we read just earlier. It says, it's when you are the way you, it's, it's who you are and the way you live that count before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people the Father is out looking for. Those who are simply and honestly themselves before him in their worship. I love the way that Peterson puts that. That are simply and honestly themselves before him in their worship. Authenticity. This is me. (laughs) That's what we are in worship. Last step. I said it gets harder, right? You know, what's the first step? Show up. Just show up. Second step, be fully present. Here's the hard part. Here's the hardest part. Surrender. Surrender. Whew. This is the hardest part of all. Because why? <laughs> we like control. Maybe that's what the human well is about, the human digging and all the other things is that we are trying to be in control of our worship rather than surrendering ourselves to the act of worship. But if you really look at the worship service, you'll see that everything we do in a worship service is really an act of surrender. When we pray, we're surrendering to God. When we we sing a song and we praise God, we're actually surrendering to God and who God is in our lives. When we give money and put it in an offering plate, is that not an act of surrender? Can I get a witness on that, right? I'm surrendering something to God. It's an act of worship. When I sing, when I pray, when I hear the word of God, and if I'm teachable and moldable, then I am surrendering my spirit and my will to God's will and God's spirit. It's an act of surrender to listen to the word of God and let it mold you and shape you. You know, I was recently in a worship service that I would say was not well executed from a professional point of view, you know. I went in, and you know what I was doing the whole time I was in worship? I wouldn't have done that song. No, yeah, you should have done it this way. Well, I wouldn't have said that, no. So, uh, and well, you, you really should flip those two around. They would go together. So I was designing worship as I was worship in a worship service. And I was evaluating it, and I was comparing it to other worship experiences, and I was doing all these things. But what was the one thing I wasn't doing? Surrendering. And then somewhere in the midst of that worship service that was not perfect, was not well executed, as I was evaluating it, notice I was making the determination. Somebody mentioned the word surrender. We're here, they said, we're here, God, to surrender to you and what you want to do in our lives. And I thought to myself, oh yeah, I forgot. I forgot it's about you, God. I forgot it's about surrendering my spirit to your spirit. 
And you know what happened the moment I began to surrender my critical thinking, my evaluative skills, my logic, my rational thought? You know what happened? I worshiped. I worshiped. And God was honored. And I saw God work in other people's lives. I saw the Spirit of God move and work in people's lives. It had nothing to do with the production of worship. It had everything to do with the Spirit of God working in people's lives. It was amazing to watch God work. And I worshiped. So I leave you with this image. My wife took this picture of me when we were in Glacier National Park last year. I don't know if you can see it really well, but I'm looking at this waterfall. This is the thing about photographs. They don't do it justice. But you can see how small I am in comparison to this giant waterfall off in the background. And, And that, to me, is kind of what Jesus is talking about. I'm so small. It's not about me. And here's this gushing waterfall, this ever-flowing stream, which Jesus said is in the well that he offers. And to worship God is to see God's fullness of worship, of spirit, of ever-flowing stream, of life-giving water, and we become humble. We become smaller, and God becomes bigger. That's what happens in worship. And we realize that we are totally dependent upon the giver of that water to refresh us, to renew us, to restore us, to change us, to reform us. Amen? Let's pray together.